We've been, for the last several weeks, ministering on a series called Benchmarks of Faith. And I know, like most of you, this week my family and I have been hunkered down in our house and we've kind of been isolating ourselves from everybody but our own family. Sometimes we'll stand on the porch and wave at neighbors as we go by and we're all kind of resisting the urge just to go out and hug and shake hands. And I know for now, you probably are beginning to adjust to this new reality as well. I believe that over the last couple of weeks, we've discovered the value of this time of isolation, of just keeping the spread of this disease low. And at the same time, there's parts of this that have just been absolutely incredible to our souls and our spirits. This morning, my grandson came and jumped in my lap as I was reading the Word and having a time of prayer, and I remembered thinking, this is different for us because we've got the time, and I pray that you and your families are enjoying that time together. Maybe you're having times of devotions and reading the Bible and prayer that you normally don't get, and I pray that these will just be rich to you. Take advantage of these as the Lord can just use them to bond you and bind you in some brand new ways. This pandemic confronts the delusion of human independence and self-sufficiency. We like to think as human beings that we are so advanced and that we are so capable. But as you look around, it humbles you to see that all it takes is a single virus to shut down the whole world. Let this remind you that you were created to be dependent on the Creator. For the past nine weeks, as we've been looking at these benchmarks of faith, we have been discovering and looking at Scripture with the understanding that we are, when we are in relationship with Jesus, that we are on a journey of spiritual growth that leads us from places of independence to greater dependence upon God. And this virus may have exposed our delusion of self-sufficiency, and it may temporarily be a painful thing, but I believe that ultimately God is going to use it to bring forth some great things in the lives of his people and his church. I invite you to take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. The scripture says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. On November the 28th, 1965, the fighter plane of Howard Rutledge exploded under enemy fire. He parachuted into the hands of the North Vietnamese Army and was promptly placed in Heartbreak Hotel in one of the prisons in Hanoi. He stated that when the door slammed and the key turned on that rusty iron lock, there was a feeling of utter loneliness that began to sweep over him. He said, I laid down on a cold cement slab in a six-by-six six prison cell. The smell of human excrement was burning in my nostrils. A rat that was as large as a small cat scampered across the slab that I was sitting on. The walls and the floors and the ceilings were caked with filth. He said, I remember looking out of a very tiny window that had bars covering it, and I was cold, and I was hungry. My body ached and my swollen joints and sprained muscles hurt from being thrown from the plane after it exploded. He said, it's hard to describe what solitary confinement can do to unnerve and defeat a human being. You quickly tire of standing up or sitting down, sleeping or being awake. There are no notebooks. There are no pens and pencils. 
There are no magazines, no newspapers. The only colors you see are drab gray and dirty brown. Months or years may go by when you don't see the sunrise or the moon. You don't smell the grass. You don't see the flowers. You are locked in, alone and silent in your filthy little sail, bringing, breathing stale air, trying to keep your sanity. As I read that, I begin to think, for most of us, we will never understand or never face the austere conditions of a POW camp. Yet to one degree or another, just about everybody spends time behind bars of some sort. Recently, I spoke with a family whose prayer request for, for a loved one who has an incurable disease where the only treatment left, they told me, is just to make them comfortable. They said, we feel like we are in a prison of helplessness right now. After many years of marriage, a friend's wife began to lose her memory. One night, she called the police to report that there was a strange man in her house. The, replace, the police responded only to find that it was her husband and she just didn't remember him. They had hopes of growing old together, but now only one of them will remember the rest of their life together. He finds himself in a prison of uncertainty. There are small business owners whose life's work and all of their financial resources are eroding right in front of their eyes through no fault of their own. They are in the prison of fear and the fear of all of the what ifs that could take place. Each of these individuals wonder, where is heaven in this storm? Why would God permit such an imprisonment? Does this storm serve any purpose? And I want you to know today that even in the middle of the storm, God is there. And for those of us that are growing in the Lord and pursuing his heart and growing in the benchmarks of our faith, we recognize that in the middle of the storm is our opportunity to pursue his heart even more closely. In Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 and 21, it says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The word for prison is an Egyptian word in a Hebrew text. It means a round house or a round tower, and most believe it to be an underground hole that is round with a small opening in the top from which a prisoner was lowered into it, and then it was closed with only a small hole for any light or air to get into. Try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. You're 17 years old. You are the favored son of a family of 12 sons. Your father has chosen you to be the head of the family. He'd given you a beautiful robe to symbolize that fact. You are on a pathway to power and influence and prominence in your family. And then in a moment, everything is gone. You're stripped of your coat, betrayed by those who should love you the most, separated from your father, sold as a slave twice and carried off into a strange land with strange languages. On the surface, it seemed the circumstances could not have been much worse for young Joseph. In truth, those difficult days were stepping stones along the path to a greater glory, even though he didn't realize it at the moment. The Hebrew boy lost his family 
lost his dignity, lost his home country, but he never lost his belief in God's belief in him. I'm sure that there were moments that he was saying to himself as he's trudging through the desert to Egypt and he resolved it in his heart, it won't end this way. God has a dream for my life. While wearing the chains of the slave owners, he remembered, I've been called to more than this. Dragged into a city of strange languages and cultures, he told himself, God has greater plans for me than what I'm experiencing right now. And I'm sure that he encouraged himself by saying, this may be my current situation, but it is not my permanent situation. It may have appeared that all of Joseph's dreams were shattered, but the God who gave the dreams in the first place was working behind the scenes to ensure that they would all be fulfilled in his time. What can we learn from the current situation from Joseph and the way that he related to God through the storms in his life? First of all, we can learn to cling to God's character. If you were to read the book of Genesis in in chapters 37 through 41, you could read the entire story of Joseph's journey. You would know highlighted that quickly Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of taking advantage of her sexually. And he had refused her advances, but he was arrested anyway. He was falsely imprisoned. While in prison, he interpreted the dream of the king's wine taster. And after interpreting the dream, said, would you please remember me when you go before the king? And he was promptly forgotten for two years. He was ignored by Pharaoh and all of his hopes were deferred. And while all of this was happening was when Joseph was in prison, but the Bible tells us that while he was in prison, while he was in the middle of this storm, the scripture said, the Lord was with him. That teaches us that the Lord is present with you in your storm, that he can bless you in the middle of the storm, that he shows kindness in your storm, that he can shine his favor upon you, even when it doesn't seem as if the conditions are met for it. As God's favor showed up as favor that was given to him by his captor, which means that God is always in charge of those who are in charge of you. Pete Wilson once said, don't abandon your God-given values in pursuit of your God-given dreams. It would have been easy for Joseph to want to manipulate the circumstances, to abandon his values, to get closer to what he knew God was leading him to. But he chose to stay in a right relationship with God, to do the right thing for the right reasons and wait for God's right time to bring everything to pass. Let me encourage you that in changing times, when things seem out of your control, grab hold of the unchanging character of God and don't let go. Secondly, pray your pain out. Let me repeat that. Pray your pain out. When the circumstances frustrate you, when you are suffering the pain of things that you cannot control, then it is time for you to fall on your knees and and pray and seek to allow the Lord to lift that frustration from you. Maybe today you're angry with God. Maybe you're disappointed with his strategy. 
Maybe you're ticked off at his timing. Maybe there are promises that you have felt that he has given you that you just don't see any possible way they're going to come to be. Let him know it. Let it out in prayer. We are told in the book of Jeremiah that Jeremiah did this. This ancient prophet pastored Jerusalem, and it was during a time of economic collapse. He pastored during a time of political upheaval. There was invasions and disaster and exile and hunger and death that took place. And Jeremiah saw all of this. So he filled his devotions with so many complaints that his prayer journal is called Lamentations. Here are some of the things that Jeremiah prayed. God has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in the light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He's aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has sent me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He's hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. And when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. In fact, if you were to read Jeremiah, you would discover that he infused five chapters with this type of fury in prayer. If you were to summarize the bulk of his book in one line, it would be this. Life is rotten. Why would God place lamentations in the Bible? Maybe it's to convince you to follow Jeremiah's example. Go ahead and tell God what you're thinking. He already knows everything that's in your mind, and if you're angry and disappointed and frustrated, you might as well tell him and let him know. In fact, it tells us in Psalm 142 too, I will pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. There are times when you just have to take all of your frustration and all of your anger and all of your disappointment and all of your misunderstanding and just lay it out at the feet of God in prayer. Cry it out. In the olden days when people used to come to church and pray for hours, they would call this praying through. Hebrews 5, 7 tells us that even Jesus offered prayers with loud cries and tears, and he was heard. If Jesus can pray that way, we certainly can. And in the middle of Jeremiah's tirade, God gives him this moment of peace. And this is what he records in verses 21 through 25 of chapter 3. Yet this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. Listen, my friend. Sorrow may come with the night, but joy comes in the morning. Even in the middle of what seemed like an unsurvivable storm in Jeremiah's life, God showed up and his presence gave him peace as he was praying it out before God. There are words to an old song that many of you are familiar with. The song says this, Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble everywhere? We should never be discouraged 
but take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Today, you might not know how to express yourself at first, but don't quit and don't hide. Pray it out and pray until the pain is gone and the peace of the Lord enters. Thirdly, recognize God's nearness. Hebrews 13:5 says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I want you to grip this promise like a parachute. When you feel the world has given way underneath you today and you feel as if you're in free fall, repeat it to yourself over and over again until it defeats the voices of fear and anxiety. There may be times that you lose the sense of God's presence, but you stand on the knowledge, on the knowledge that he will never forsake you. Daniel chapter 3 records that when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego angered Nebuchadnezzar for not worshiping the image of gold and were sentenced to death by being thrown into a furnace and burned to death, it tells us this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We know that they didn't feel the presence of the Lord because they were unsure what the outcome would be. But they acted and spoke on the knowledge that his presence was there with them. At the moment that they were thrown into the flames, the presence of God was instantly visible, delivering them. All of those that looked said, didn't we throw three in? I see a fourth, and he looks like the Son of God. Listen. Your difficult days demand decisions of faith. Don't limit God's presence only to your good moods. Don't limit his presence only to your good days. God is with you whether you are happy or not, whether you are full of joy or whether you are battling depression or whether your body is well or whether you are suffering with cancer or the coronavirus. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 states this, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. If Joseph's story is about anything, it's about how God can use Egypt and the storms of one's life to teach you that he is with you. So cling to his character, pray your pain out, and recognize God's nearness. Paul Tripp wrote a devotion this week that said, this pandemic reminds us that there are greater, darker, and more dangerous pandemics out there, the greatest being sin. 
Not everyone will test positive for COVID-19, but everybody has been infected with sin since birth. There's no escaping it. You cannot hide from it. Every one of us is affected with this fatal virus of sin. And sin is eternally more destructive than the coronavirus will ever be. But there is a known cure. God looked at the world in awesome mercy and love and decided he would not let us perish for this disease. And it tells us in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've been living with fear and anxiety, if you've been living in a storm of life, if you know right now that you have not relied on the work of Jesus Christ when he paid the penalty of sin for you on the cross, I would love to invite you to meet him right now. So I'm going to ask that you would just close your eyes. And if this is your moment when Jesus steps into your storm and redeems your spirit, redeems your soul, would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I know that I am infected with this eternally fatal virus called sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as Lord. From this day forward, would you guide my life and help me to do your will? And I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. If you made that decision today, or if there are aspects of your life that you just need somebody to pray with you about, there's going to be a number listed at the bottom of the screen for you to follow up, and we have people that would love to pray with you and love to just join alongside of the things going on in your life to encourage you. I pray today that God will be more real to you than ever before, and in the middle of the storm, pursue His presence with all you've got, because He will not forsake you. God bless you.